Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight Talk from Israel. to the Tamar Yonah Show here at Israel News Talk Radio. Today's show, the U.S. debt bomb. Will it explode? Also, U.S. demographics, understanding the United States government debt, high interest rates are here to stay. Also, BRICS, what's that about? It's an alignment of countries. And Ukraine's loss ratio, You're going to hear some news about the Ukraine that the Western media is not telling you. Very interesting stuff. And we're going to be speaking about the recent firing of an Israeli minister here in Israel by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. We'll be finding out about that and what's dividing the right and left regarding the Supreme Court, their rulings, how they pick their judges, etc. There are protests going on at night in Tel Aviv with Israeli flags flying, but at that same demonstration, there are Palestinian flags flying, and that is what you get when you go to left-wing demonstrations. All right, so let me introduce our guest. We have joining us Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. He is a researcher, former lecturer at Ben-Gurion University. He's authored over 80 books and 400 research papers on science, history, and more. He commentates on Mideast and world issues. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. Thank you. Demographics, when people say demographics, people automatically think about female fertility. And of course, that's one of the numbers of demographics. But to really understand what's going on, you need to drill down a lot deeper than that, not just look at fertility. Again, it's a critical number. It's not the only number. The U.S. has the highest rate of single-parent households in the world. 23% of all children in the United States Live in a live in a household with one parent, twenty three percent. That's more than four times the world average. Four times the world average. The average U.S. child, even with a father, spends thirty minutes per week with his father and forty four hours per week with the television. That's also a demographic number. Which, if you're not aware of it. You're not aware of what's really going on in the United States. Children that grow up without fathers, whether it's because the father isn't there at all, or because the father ignores the children, are inherently disadvantaged. It's a broken society in a sense. Exactly. Both business and states can do can forgive immoral behavior, but are intolerant towards unpredictability or unreliability. And the primary source, it turns out, by every study that's ever been made, that the primary source of unreliability in children in adolescence is the absence of a father. But we have to go beyond just the the demographic numbers. We have to understand what's going on in the society as a whole. Okay? And when you start to look at the society as a whole in America, you cannot look at it without viewing the two most critical, well, I shouldn't say most critical, two additionally critical um, uh, uh, um, uh, uh, social phenomena that that, that we see in the United States today. And these are, of course, the issue of drugs and the issue of crime. And again, both of these are intimately linked to what we've discussed so far. The absence of a father or absence of a father in the home, a real father, not somebody who's just a guest in the house. And the issue of the age of of things. If, 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 if an entire profession is 
going out of style, so to speak. That's a critical point. So if we see in the United States, for instance, that um, 90 plus percent of the drugs that come into the United States come in via the southern border, by the Sinova drug cartel, basically what that means is that the United States is at war with Mexico. People aren't comfortable thinking about that. You're not at war with the state of Mexico. Basically, the state of Mexico hasn't existed for decades. They have a president who is basically appointed by the drug cartels. He represents them, not the people of Mexico. Mexico is not simply standing there watching people cross the American southern border. They're aiding and abetting it. Why? Because these drug cartels have between 1,000 and 10,000 representatives in almost every single city across the United States. And these representatives are armed and trained. Armed and trained. This is not healthy for American society. At what point will there be a tipping point when U.S. crime and social ills will be perceived themselves as unreliable and unpredictable? At okay. that point, the U.S. will no longer be perceived as a place for investment in companies or bonds. Now, remember, the United States is a country with a lot of debts. We'll get to that in a moment of what those debts mean. But what it means on, on the most basic level is that the United States has been standing for the last two decades with the begging bowl begging the rest of the world to fund them. I know Americans don't like hearing that, but that's reality. United States government has been saying, we want to spend more than we earn, and we expect the rest of the world to fund us. And we'll talk a little bit about a little bit later about who these funders are. Only rarely are they friends of the United States. But yet they're giving billions of dollars to Ukraine. Yes. Well, try hundreds of billions. Yes. So if they're so if they're begging for money, how are they giving all of this money to Ukraine? These, this is money that they don't have. They're, they're borrowing it. So they're putting American taxpayers in further debt. Yes. Okay, and and this this could destroy the economy, the country itself. That could is. Mm-hmm. And we, end, we need to understand the Sonola drug cartel again. I won't go into detail now. We'll only touch on it. Who is the Sonola drug cartel? Well, the precursors for the drugs are manufactured in China and shipped over to Mexico. Again, Mexico, the country, is receiving them. If Mexico existed as a real country, as a real state, it could stop the import of these precursors, but it is not. But the same goes for America. America can also stop the influx of it it across the borders. It turns out that it cannot. America does not have... America began in... It with the with the uh, the first Bush declaring a war on drugs, they've been fighting this war on drugs now for what is it now, three decades? They decades? say they have, but that doesn't mean that they are. Well, it means that they're failing. Is what they, is what they are. Again, the American military that receives nearly a trillion dollars every year is a failure. So the Chinese make the precursors. Hezbollah provides the weaponry and the training. And Sinola provides the logistics. That's the reality of Mexico today and the war between the United States and and the country of Mexico. And any American who's not aware of this war is not aware of what's really going on in, in his own country. Are we at a point where uh, we're uh, for our break no not yet I, another few seconds but uh i just i just want to ask you so the united states is giving away money to billions hundreds you say hundreds of billions uh billions of dollars to the ukraine there the the economy is tanking because people aren't working there's drugs etc there's no incentive to work and this is all going to lead up to the debt bomb i guess we're going to talk about the next segment correct all right 
We're going to be back, everybody. If you want to weigh in on the issue, feel free to call in. Our numbers are on the top of our homepage on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. One minute of Torah. The plagues are devastating Egypt. Freedom for the Jews is coming any day now. And as hard as it may be to believe, not all the Jews want to leave Egypt. All right, says God, if you want to stay, you can stay. In order that the Egyptians not witness this embarrassing phenomenon, God had those Jews perish and be buried under the cover of the plague of darkness in our Torah portion of Bo. Nowadays, we are in exile once again. Our good deeds, kind words, and positive thoughts help redeem us from exile and hasten the redemption, which will be the final and everlasting one. In contrast to the Egyptian exodus, any Jew nowadays who is so comfortable and does not want to leave exile will still leave. No Jew will be left behind this time. Ever since we received the Torah, the Jews have entered into a different bond with God, a bond that can never be broken, regardless of what our conscious mind, speech, and actions declare. Knowing that ultimately we will all be redeemed encourages us to prepare ourselves for the moment, and even more so, to think, speak, and act in a way that hastens its arrival. With your Iron Tarmen of Torah, this is Chava Zekovich. Warning. Take cover. The Jewish Truth Bomb is here. The show that will explode all the false narratives and fake news. Join host Lenny Goldberg each week as he wires the news together and detonates it through biblical verses that will deliver a shockwave that will blow you away. Don't miss it. The Jewish Truth Bomb. Every Monday. Shalom, this is Nadia Matar from the Sovereignty Movement. At a time when there is so much disinformation, you have to know who to listen to to know what really is going on in Israel. Israel News Talk Radio is the radio where you can know that what you hear is the truth. Israel News Talk Radio, straight talk from Israel. We are back at the Tamar Yona Show here at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Our guest is Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem, and we're talking about the U.S. debt bomb. Will it explode? And so tell us. I mean, we, we know that the United States are trillions of dollars in debt. We know that there's still excessive spending under the Biden administration, and you talked about the drug war. You talked about the lack of uh, incentive the crime, uh, to work, the crime rate, people growing up without father figures, etc. Now, you, we need to understand that all of these things are connected to debt. Debt is a symptom of the social ill. It's not a cause, it's a symptom. Right? Well, let's look at the debt for a moment, okay? The U.S. government issues treasury securities to fund the deficit to the amount of money it receives in taxes or other revenues versus the amount of money it spends. Spends on defense, on welfare, interest, on the debt, etc. As of October 20, uh, 2022, the government's total debt was $31.1 As of January, $31.5 The debt ceiling was $31.4 So it's past the debt ceiling. The debt ceiling is an artificial ceiling created by Congress to prevent the federal government from spending wantonly. The, the ceiling has been raised tens of times, and it has never prevented anybody from spending. The only thing it does is create a brouhaha in Congress, between the Congress and the White House, to uh, um, 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 uh, um, uh, shout about the... About <coughs> Me, about the debt passing the ceiling, but it's always raised, and it'll be raised this time as well. The United States will not default on its debt, and never has. It won't do that this time. So far. Well, let's look at that actual debt. Japan is the largest foreign holder of public U.S. government debt. It owns $1.3 trillion of that debt. Now, 
Let's go back for, for a moment to that number. 31.5 trillion. What is that number? The total world debt is $72 trillion. In other words, the United States has more than 50% of total human, human population debt. More than 50% of the total debt. The United States is not 50% of the population of the world. Far from it. It's not a small country, of course. It's a large country. But it's much, much smaller than either China or India. China and India together are one-third of the human population. Yet the United States has 50% of all human debt. That's up. Probably in all, in all wealth, wealth as well, no? No. As a matter of fact, it does not. Okay. That used to be the case when the debt was much smaller and, and, and U.S. wealth was much larger. U.S. wealth has been shrinking while the debt has been growing. Okay. Now, what's the cost of this debt? And it's an interesting issue. We, we said one of the things that the U.S. government spends its money on is, of course, servicing the debt. Well, the cost of debt today is skewed. It's weird. And this is very strange. If you buy a bond for, in other words, a debt, buy a bond for 90 days, you pay today 4.6%. If you buy a bond for 10 years, you pay 3.6%. That's bonkers. The entire financial system in the United States is bonkers. The government has lost control. So I said Japan owns $1.3 trillion as of May uh, of last year. China ranks, ranks second. China owns a trillion dollars in U.S. debt. What happens if China doesn't buy debt anymore? Who funds the U.S. government? What happens if, I'll just read off quickly some of the, some of the owners of this debt. Now, remember, owning debt, owning bonds in, in, in American treasuries is generally speaking a good investment as long as you believe that the debt will be paid. I'm going on record. I'm saying I believe the debt will be paid. So it's not a bad investment. It might not be a smart investment, but it's not a bad investment. So the countries with the most, uh, own the most, um, the most American debt are, as I said, Japan first, China second, United Kingdom, Ireland, and Luxembourg. These are the top five. One of the owners of American debt is Russia. Interesting point. Uh, Russian debt is $200 billion compared to $31 trillion U.S. debt. Israel, by the way, owns $53 billion in U.S. debt, with a number, number, 23, number 23 in terms of owners of U.S. debt. So what are they purchasing from these countries that they're in debt to them for? No, no, it goes the other way. These countries are purchasing government treasuries, in other words, government bonds. The U.S. government I see, I bonds, see. which are essentially a, a request for a loan. You issue a bond, and you ask people to purchase the bond. And if the bond is purchased, then you have taken taken a loan from them, and you need to pay pay interest on that loan that you've that you've uh, right, that you've issued. Right, got it, got it, got it. Okay. So, so the. Uh, uh, U.S. owns, uh, as I said, uh, you know, is, it, is it reasonable to assume that Janet Yellen, the president, the present um, uh, um, secretary of the Treasury of the United States, isn't aware of these things that I'm saying? That's not reasonable. She's an economist. She's former head of the Fed. She's clearly a, a very highly uh, professional person in terms of international finance. She knows what's going on. Is it reasonable that Powell doesn't know? No, Powell knows very well. Clearly, they both know. Well, maybe they're just planning on kicking the can down the road and let the next administration deal with it. They're not talking about the next administration. They're talking about the next three generations. Well, okay. And I mean that literally. That's, what, that's the language that they're using. Okay. That this debt is on the next three generations. The children, the grandchildren, and the great-grandchildren. They will pay the debts for what's being taken out today. Okay, so that that's, you know, 
we have this joke, you know, if you've ever watched The Simpsons. I I don't really watch The Simpsons, but my kids were telling me that there was some meme or something and, and Homer Simpson was saying some like, oh, that's a problem for a future Homer. I'm glad I'm not that guy. <laughs> so, I mean, maybe that's what uh, the Biden administration is thinking. It's a problem for the future Americans. I'm glad we're not you know, going to be that administration. Well, first of all, it would be improper to blame this on the Biden administration. This is an American problem, not just a Biden problem. Right. In other words, this but, has been... But Biden is, is many, spending many like there's no tomorrow. Now. Sorry? Instead of that? trying to tackle it, they're feeding into... They're, they're, they're sucking even more. They're going yes. into even more debt. The Biden administration in two years, remember we're just now at the anniversary of, of two years, has grown the debt by more than $5 trillion. And that's before the 1.7, because 1.7 that was just passed has not yet been spent, so it's not yet a debt. It's a... Permission for a debt, for additional debt. Right. So the Biden administration has already spent $5 trillion in debt, $5 trillion above what the government takes in, in, in taxes and other revenues. Okay. And the White House, and when it reached the debt ceiling, announced that it will not negotiate with Congress. Congress simply has to do what it's told. I can only call that the epitome of arrogance. The U.S. is approaching 150% of GDP. GDP, present GDP of the United States stands at 21.4 trillion. The debt stands at 31.5 trillion. So that's, we're talking about nearly 150% of GDP. That is unprecedented in human history. No country has ever survived that. Will the United States survive this? I think it's a good chance that it will. Well, the real question right now is how long will it take the Congress? I mean, talking about right now, now, really now. How long will it take the Congress to raise the debt ceiling so that the United States can continue to borrow? Because that's what it's going to do. And will the rating agencies react to these changes? Okay. And those two questions are linked. If it takes Congress long, longer time, there's more of a chance that the rating agencies will link. If the rating agencies lower the value, the, the value that they place on American Treasury bonds, the cost of those of those debts will go up precipitously. Okay, we only have another minute until we're going to a break, and I, I want to say something, and I could be wrong because I am not uh, familiar with finances and all those things. But my feeling is, and please correct me if you think I'm wrong, is that the Biden administration, being the Democratic Party today, at least, maybe not 30 years ago, but today, I think think of them as mostly globalists. And I think that they want America to break. I think they want America to explode because then it's much easier to put in your globalism. If you have a strong America that has a constitution, then it's going to be, and, and lets their citizens bear arms, etc. It's going to be very hard to get that nation in line. But if that nation is broken and fallen to their knees and they're begging for help, it's much easier to control them and say, okay, you want help from the international community or from whatever, then get with the program, baby. You know, no more. I think, I think you've just explained, probably at least as well, perhaps better than I could, why I link demographics and the debt. Okay, we have to stop here. We're going to be back, everybody. Don't go anywhere. We have one more segment coming up and more news. Millions of people get cancer each year. Treatments can be complicated and some people may be resistant to a particular treatment protocol. 
An Israeli company called Oncohost is working on understanding each patient's unique response to therapy. The technology scans proteins in a patient's plasma to identify patterns that decode the cancer resistance mechanisms in their body. These patterns are predictive of the patient's likeliness to benefit from a particular treatment approach. The test assigns a score as a measure of the predicted clinical benefit of a particular treatment and lists clinical treatment considerations. Utilizing bioinformatics and machine learning, the technology produces a report for each patient, helping to identify the treatment approach most likely to achieve the best possible outcome. For more information on the high-tech world today, visit IsraelTechTalk.com. With Ryan TR Tech Minute, I'm Bob Aiello. Hello, listeners. My name is Gila Perach-Hirsch, and I live in Israel, and I love it here because in Israel, I can feel the hand of God brushing my cheek. Hi, my name is Arnie. I'm from Jerusalem, and I love Israel because it's my happy place. My name is Hannah. What Israel represents for me, freedom to be who I am, and all the other amazing things that small country had accomplished, it just makes me so proud. Thank you, Israel. Hi, my name is Morris Klein from Melbourne, Australia, and I love Israel because I'm Yisrael Chai. Hi, this is Michal from London originally, now Natanya. The reason I love Israel, I would probably say, Israel, where every Jew feels at home. Hello, this is Harold from Jerusalem, Israel. I love living in Israel because my inside life and my outside life are one and the same, and they blend smoothly and uniformly with each other. We are back here at the Tamar Yono Show on IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Our guest is Dr. Mordechai Ben-Menachem. He commentates on Mideastern world issues. And we're going to be talking now about high interest rates are here to stay. No, tell me no. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, well, that's where we are. Um, High interest rates are here to stay. The interest, the inflation remains at near 40-year highs. And the Federal Reserve, along with central banks around the world, is will continue to raise interest rates in the attempt to quell these rising rate, rising prices. Let me reveal a little secret here that people just aren't aware of. People think that the job of the Fed is to control interest rates and the money supply and therefore to control what happens in the in the American economy. That's not true. This is an after effect. The real reason for the Fed, the real job of the Fed is to control the demand for dollars, which the dollar is the United States' primary weapon to defend itself against the world. So the Fed is using these interest rates by any token of of economics. When you have inflation, which is supply-driven, not demand-driven, raising interest rates is not the way to fix it. You don't fix supply by raising interest rates. You fix demand by raising interest. Remember remember supply and demand? You fix uh, 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 demand by raising interest rates. You raise interest rates. So people have less demand. They have less ready cash. You don't fix supply from interest rates, but that's what they're doing. And the reason for that is because the real job of the Fed is to control the demand for dollars. Personally, and this is my own personal expectation, no one has to agree with me, I expect to see to start to see somewhere during this year, 2023, oil priced in gold, not priced in U.S. dollars. When that happens, that is an enormous red flag. That means the Fed has failed at its job to promote the dollar. Now, if that happens, people need to be aware that is a very major warning sign. If there's so much wanting to protect the dollar, why is there all this talk about going to digital currency? Well, why not? That, that, that protects the dollar. 
Well, that's if you have the dollar in digital currency, not if you have a global currency, perhaps. Well, notice, <clears throat> nobody's seriously talking about a global currency. That's why these, these currencies like Bitcoin and, mo and, and a thousand others like it are not really stable. That's why you see these wild swings in these things, because they're, they're purely speculative. They're basically roulette. They're gambling. I mean, you can like Bitcoin, you can you can like Ethereum and et cetera, et cetera, and all these other names, whatever. I'm fine. I don't, I'm not saying whether they're valued for uh, as an investment or not. I don't gamble. I don't understand the gambling like that. But they are gambles. They're not stable. And they're not stable because they're not backed by anything. Basically, what gives them any value at all is their scarcity. If that ends, then they end. I don't expect them to end, and that's what I'm saying. I'm saying that these are not global currencies. Okay, so high interest rates are here to stay. And now from that, we have to go to BRICS, because as I said, if I expect to see oil priced in gold, oil and gold are two of the most important commodities in the world. Okay, tell our audience again what BRICS is. commodities come from the BRICS. Tell our audience, remind our audience what BRICS is. BRICS, Brazil... Russia, India, China, South Africa. Okay. The primary sources of commodities in the world today are these five countries, were these five countries. Now, to, adding to them, there are some countries that are not part of the BRICS that are presently asking to join the BRICS, one of them being Saudi Arabia, another one being United Arab Emirates, two of the largest suppliers of oil in the world. Saudi Arabia, of course, is the largest. And after that comes Russia. Um, if these countries join BRICS, and if, again, if, I'm saying if, if these countries really do uh, uh, create an alternate system to SWIFT, SWIFT is the international uh, uh, um, um, financial forwarding service, Remember, one of the first things the United States did to so-called punish Russia <coughs> for the war in Ukraine was to boot them out of SWIFT. Well, that didn't work. Russia's economy has grown phenomenally since they did that. So, so far, everything the United States has done to so-called punish Russia has punished the West and not Russia. Russia's economy is growing. All economies in the West except for Israel, are shrinking. All of them, without exception. United States, Western Europe, all over. The BRICS, just these five countries, are 41% of world's population, 27% of all land, 18% of all commerce, 32% of GDP. The point of this is an alternative economic universe to the U.S. dollar. That is the biggest question the biggest threat to the United States today. The United States is the hegemon. I'm not making a value judgment. I'm not saying whether this is good or bad. Clearly, as everyone knows, since World War II, the United States has been the hegemon of the world, a primary big, big guy on the top of the hill. Well, the, the club that the United States wields in order to stand the top of the hill is the U.S. dollar, as I said previously today. That's the primary job of the Fed, is to, is to ensure the, that the, the demand for the U.S. dollar. Again, fiat currencies are, are valued by supply and demand just like any other commodity. And a fiat currency is a commodity. Now, the commodity producers, the physical commodity producers, like uh, 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 coal, gas, oil, gold, uh, uh, titanium, uh, 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 silver, etc., 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 all of these basic commodities, aluminum, uh, steel, uh, etc. These are these brick, brick countries. They're beginning to assert their power, which means the U.S. club doesn't work as well as it used to. Club in the sense of club in hand to beat people on the head. 
if this does occur, if these things really get their act together, if these countries get their act together, then we're going to see prices in the U.S. start to skyrocket, not just inflation, but inflation as such a, such that we have we have never before seen in the United States. If this happens, I'm saying not predicting prediction. I'm saying this is a uh, a, a primary issue of uh, risk management to the United States, to the American people. Yeah, you know, I, I sorry, I, I just wanted to comment here that uh, people don't understand. Well, they may not understand what it means when these prices go up, as you're talking about. And uh, my son-in-law was just in Hungary, and he said that because of the huge increase in fuel to keep places warm. You were talking about that during our shows as well, that you would say that people may be dying because they're going to freeze to death. They won't be able to afford to heat their homes, etc. And he said that in Hungary, in Budapest, where he was, that some of the hotels are closed because they can't afford to keep them warm for their guests. Other hotels that are open have signs saying that their guests cannot have their rooms warmer than 19 degrees Celsius. And pubs, not all, but many pubs and many cafes have also closed their doors because they can't afford to heat their premises. And they said, and they say on the signs, we'll see you in the summer or the springtime. We'll re, re, they're going to plan to reopen then. I mean, this is like catastrophic for businesses because a lot of businesses won't be able to hold out until the summer. They still have to pay rent during the winter and they're not getting money in. I don't know how that's going to happen, but we're looking at well, real serious what, life changes. You're talking, you're talking about Hungary, which gets its fuel, still gets its fuel from Russia. What happens in Spain that doesn't have a source of fuel from Russia? What happens in in, in, in Italy, in, in Netherlands, in Belgium, that are no longer getting their, their, their oil and gas from Russia. They're getting it from liquid, liquefied natural, natural gas, which is much, much more expensive than pipeline gas. The world the is really is changing quickly. Than, for yeah. instance, Belgium. Be interesting to find out what's happening in those other countries as well. If anybody, by the way, are you listening from uh, those other European countries, write me, Tamar or info at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com or Tamar, T-A-M-A-R, Tamar at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Let me know what's going on in your neck of the woods there, uh, wherever you are, if you've seen huge changes like that. All right, we only have a few more, more, a few more minutes. Let's move on maybe to another topic. Okay, let, let's let's very briefly cover uh, an issue of, of of what's going on in Ukraine, just from the standpoint of news, and then we'll get to what's going on in Israel right now. Okay. okay? Yes. So uh, people, again, people in the West, particularly in the United States, in Canada, in 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 in, in uh, uh, Western Europe, are getting ridiculous news fa- news flashes. These aren't about about the Ukrainian war. This, these are these are not real. Let's get some real numbers here so people understand. Ukraine began the war with about 600,000 troops. They had been trained by, by NATO. These troops have been more well-trained or supposedly well-trained. So far, out of these 600,000, about 122,000 are confirmed dead. 37,000 are called missing in action, presumed dead. Plus an additional 300,000 casualties. Basically, the Ukrainian army has been almost totally decimated. There's very little of it left. Who's fighting on the Ukrainian side? Well, the dregs of the Ukrainian army, of course, and a large quantity of mercenaries. They're definitely not getting the mercenaries. Yeah, the U.S. taxpayer. Russia began the war with 80,000 troops, approximately, or 120,000 with 80,000 combat troops. Of that, about 16 to 20,000 are, are dead, and about 50,000 are wounded. The Russian army now that surrounds Ukraine and is about to invade is about 600,000 now. 
So the Ukrainians are losing about eight people for every one person that the Russians are losing. This is while Ukraine is, of course, much, much smaller than Russia at the beginning of the world, uh, at the beginning of the war, and it's a lot smaller now than it was then. Remember, some, between nobody knows the exact number, between 10 and 20 million Ukrainians have fled Ukraine westward. We talked about this last week, what this is doing to the Western um, uh, 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 National Health Services. But it's also doing something to the Ukraine. Ukraine is much smaller than today than it was then, smaller in terms of population. Do you believe that the Biden administration may, after giving hundreds of, you're saying billions of dollars to Ukraine, that he's next going to offer U.S. military boots on the ground? Uh, this is a big debate. Nobody knows right now what's going on uh, in that sense. For the first time since World War II, the 101st uh, Cavalry Division has been deployed to Europe. 101st is supposedly the shock troops for any U.S. invasion of any place. That's the so-called definition of this of this division. Wow. So is 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 Biden planning to invade Ukraine with U.S. troops? Nobody knows. There are some signs on the ground that he may be thinking these lines. All of anybody with a brain is hoping that that's not what's going to happen, because that would be disastrous. Absolutely. Uh, I don't know how many Americans are going to want to go and fight for Ukraine. About, about supplying tanks to Ukraine. This is one of the biggest fabrications that we've seen so far. England said they're going to send 14 tanks. Whoopee. 14 tanks. That'll, that'll, last, that'll last them an hour. The United States wants to send Abrams tanks. Germany wants to send Leopard tanks. This is a logistical nightmare. Nobody with a brain can, can comprehend what this means. There is no way to supply various kinds of tanks. It just doesn't happen. Different kinds of fuel, different training they, they're needed. To, for a person to be effective in a tank, you need six months of training. Who are they going to train and where are they going to be trained? The Ukraine war is, is over. It's, the Ukraine country is dead. It's a walking corpse. So then, anyway, okay, and and then and then so why is uh, Biden still pouring money into it? Perhaps, like I said, and like y- you agreed with that they they want to do this because they want to weaken America, the American uh, uh, that's, people. That, that's, cl- that's clearly the result. Is that the intention from the beginning? I think it is. You think it is. We don't have proof. Okay, all right. So we'll leave it there. <coughs> Maybe we'll know more next week. Okay, let's talk about dairy because that's an important subject. People need to understand what's going on. Okay, so, tell everybody who he is. Dairy is a is a. I don't personally let me let me preface by saying personally I don't like the guy, but he is a consummate professional and he's a professional politician and a professional minister. He's been minister for decades, and as a matter of fact, he always does a very good job as a minister. When he manages a ministry, that ministry is managed. He knows what he's doing. Again, personally, I dislike the man. That's not the point. Politics is not a popularity contest if you want your country to run. So the Supreme Court just, uh, um, uh, how how do you say it, Uh, um, 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 uh, um, demanded that he be fired as a minister because of uh, um, uh, 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 he, he was previously convicted of a crime and paid his debt to society. The crime that he was convicted of was was a tax was tax evasion. He paid his debt to society, and and he and he, he, supposedly in a democracy, once you paid your debt, you should not have be a debtor, right? So, what law did the Supreme Court invoke to allow them to say that he cannot be a minister? And the law, in, in, in terms of England, in England, this law is called because they can. In other words, there was no law. There is no law that says he cannot be a minister. It's, cra- a- it's crazy because if he's going to be a member of Knesset, 
And the people vote him in. They vote him and his party in because they want him to be a minister. They don't want him just to be a Knesset member. So, so if it, yes, it's just so a, stupid, you have, like you're you saying, you, you have an error in what you're saying. And the error is that the Supreme Court believes itself, sincerely believes itself, to be above the electorate and to be above the law and to be above and democracy, be above <laughs> perhaps. Anyone who understands the basics of democracy understands that it needs to be a balance between the various branches of government. In the U.S., it's three branches. In other places, it may be more than three branches. It doesn't matter from, from the moment of the number. The idea is called in, the, in American Federalist Papers, checks and balances. The Supreme Court in Israel does not believe in checks and balances. They are the check. They are the balance. They control everything. Otherwise, they are insulted. And you're not allowed to insult them. All right. So we have to wrap it up. I'm giving you the floor. Oh, I'm, I'm, I did not understand what you're saying. Okay. Uh, so basically, that, that's, it's the same thing. We've, we've seen this time and again in Israel over the years. We saw when, when uh, Yuval Neiman, uh, Yaakov Neiman, sorry, was, was appointed as the, the um, justice minister. And they invented a case against him and forced him out. And we've seen it time and time again. We've seen that with the trials for uh, the 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 the, um, the trials uh, against uh, Netanyahu. Remember, he's being tried for crimes that were not crimes when they were committed. There is no legal basis in terms of Knesset written law to say that what Netanyahu is accused of is at all a crime, except. That's what the judiciary wants. They want to move him aside. They want to be able to have total control of everything. All right. Let me just read something really, really quick from uh, Arut Sheva, IsraelNationalNews.com. It says here, Netanyahu fires Aryeh Derry with a, quote, heavy heart. And it says here on Sunday, uh, this afternoon here in Israel, Chairman Aryeh Derry uh, was fired by Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu as the interior and health minister four days after Derry was disqualified for serving as a minister by the Supreme court. Uh, and I want to say here, what was the Supreme court's ruling? Let me read you uh, just a couple of, uh, I'm going to pull out a couple of sentences here from a a longer article, but it says here that the Supreme court ruled last Wednesday afternoon that Shas chairman Aryeh Derry may not serve as minister in the current government following his conviction for tax offenses one year ago. Most of the panel's judges determined, this is another sentence now, that this appointment was extremely, quote, unreasonable, and therefore the prime minister should remove Derry from his position. So as you said, that there's no specific law that I'm aware of that he can't serve, but the Supreme Court says it's unreasonable. But I think it's unreasonable because if somebody, and again, I'm with you about Arya Derry. I don't, I don't care for the Shas party so much, and Arya Derry probably is or, or was a crook. I don't know, but uh, he did pay his debts. He did everything legal. He made plea deals, whatever. And when somebody has served for their crime then why do you keep punishing them longer? If they've already served their sentence, they've already paid for their crime or whatever it is, then why keep, why keep doing it? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I, I could be wrong. But uh, here all, we- that is, all that is very, is very poignant. But the basic level, basic thing here on the, on, the, on the most basic... I think I lost you. The basic issue here, here is what the Supreme Court called it's unreasonable. Unreasonable is... Is not a law. Is <laughs> an invention by Arya by by Aaron Barak that does not exist in any court in the world, other than here. Right, and people should know that right now there is a huge divide now between the left and the right based on the Supreme Court of Israel and where their power should go and where they're not. With this new uh, government under Bibi, which is more right wing, they're trying to remove. Uh, the power of the judges to keep appointing themselves, and there's no democracy there. There's uh, and let the Knesset appoint, uh, which is basically the representatives of the people of Israel appoint who the judges are going to be. And the, of course, the Supreme Court judges don't like that. And now there's huge demonstrations in Tel Aviv about that. And you'll see, unfortunately, Palestinian flags being waved at those demonstrations. 
along and with that's these not red by flags. Chance, by the way, those things are linked. Okay. Uh, we, we, we just are, we reporting. Know, look, I'm just anybody reporting. Anybody who looks at the pictures of these demonstrations, the first thing you notice is that all of the signs are identical. They're all printed in one place. Who is funding this demonstration? Well, we got to stop here because the music's on. <laughs> I want to thank you very much for being with us, Dr. Mordechai ben Menachem. We can pick it up later. Thank you, everybody, for being with us here at the Tamar Yonah Show. Where can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from Leak City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Doris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 